Welcome to the Rock is George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion, and this is episode 117. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, or follow button on the platform that you're listening to us on. Also, check me out at theloudest.com on the planet, knac.com, where you'll find interviews, album reviews, and live show reviews that you won't find on the Rock is George podcast platforms. My guest for this episode is Andy Curran. You may know him from the Canadian hard rock act, Coney Hatch. Together with the band, they released three albums in the 80s before disbanding after the release of their 1985 album, Friction. Not long after Coney Hatch's disbandment, Andy released his self-titled solo album in 1990. And today, that album is getting the deluxe 30th anniversary treatment. It's been renamed Whiskey and the Devil 30th. It's being released through Sing Market. It is one of the best deluxe collections I've ever seen that includes a lot of physical product, a vinyl, digital files, digital photos, and memorabilia. Andy's going to go a little more into that. Of course, Andy is back together with Coney Hatch. They're out there playing live shows and with a new release on the horizon. Andy is also a member of the band Envy of None, featuring Alex Lifeson of Rush and singer Mariah Wynn. We're going to talk a little bit about Envy of None, what Coney Hatch is up to today, and of course, the extensive reissue of Andy Curran's solo album, Whiskey and the Devil 30th. So here's Andy Curran to tell you all about it. So today we're talking about uh, your debut solo album that came out in 1990. It's now been redubbed Whiskey and the Devil 30th. So if you want to talk a little bit about bringing this album uh, back to the forefront after 30 years since this release. Yeah, George, um, thank you again for having me on. And I know it's a little confusing because you're like, you know, that album was not called Whiskey and the Devil, but there was a song on the record called Whiskey and the Devil. So we just started riffing about it, the fact that this was the 30th anniversary. And I asked everybody in the camp, like, are you guys cool? Like, I don't know, it'll sound a little bit weird to you, but I never I never actually felt comfortable with calling the record Andy Kern. It was I'm I'm a band guy. I came from Coney Hatch and I remember literally having an argument with the record company at the time going, I don't want to call this record Andy Kern. I really don't. I've got my band at the time was called Soho 69 and they're like, "No. Nope. Your photos going on the front cover and we're calling Andy Kern." And I was like, "Okay, well, they they're paying the bills." So I anyway, so I don't know. There was something about it, um, George, that I just, I, I wasn't comfortable. I'm a team guy. I play hockey. I, I'm all about the collaboration. So when it came time that I could actually make the call, I told everybody this, I want to call this record Whiskey and the Devil 30th. And full transparency, I was going to call the record Every Dog Has Its Day back then because uh, I had left Coney Hatch and, you know, there was a bit of a, 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 a situation with, uh, the record company at the time with Coney Hatch going, look, at, we were going to go with one singer here. So let's go with Carl Dixon. Andy, you need to take a backseat. So it was a bit of a, a bitter pill for me to swallow. So when it came time and I got a, a, a solo deal, I was like, yeah, I'm going to call this record. Every dog has its day. This dog's getting his day now. Right. And uh, 
that was a whole other story. We had finished artwork for it. And then we decided the record company came in and the gauntlet came down and they said, it's going to be called Andy Kern and you don't have any say on it. Whiskey and the Devil was one of the, one of my favorite songs from that debut record. And we had this artwork that a friend of mine, who's a tattoo artist, he did a t-shirt for me back in the day. And when I was going through all of the material and all of the photos that I had, and I'm a bit of a pack rack, I uh, got a is charged. I opened up this one box. I'm like, damn, I forgot about that cool t-shirt with that devil drinking whiskey on it. Right. So I was like, that's going to be the front cover. So I've just explained to you that, you know, the confusion around the, the album title, but honestly, George, the reason it came up was oh, during the pandemic and obviously over COVID that anniversary, that's truly the 30th anniversary. And I had spoken with the record company back then and I said, would you guys be interested in re-releasing the record? Because it's the 30th anniversary. And they said, man, we're not really an active record company right now, but we'll give you the rights to do it. So that's when the wheels started turning. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool to remix the record? Because not that I didn't like the sound of that record. I just thought, okay, well, it's 30 years later. We used a lot of reverb on it. The drums are massive. They sounded like cannons. It, it's... It's slightly dated. So, um, you know, when I spoke with my buddy, I'm going to drop a name here, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. He said, don't you screw with that record. It sounds good. And I said, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of the reverb off the, uh, the drums. I'm going to make it the guitars a little bit more in your face. And, you know, he, he called me up and he said, yeah, I like the remixes, but there's something about the old one that I love. So when you buy this record on, on Sting Marketplace, George, you're going to get both. You're going to get the old one remastered and you're going to get the new one with a bit of a facelift on it. Full transparency. I think the most rewarding thing about releasing this one is the record only came out in Canada. I had a Canadian deal. So anybody in Europe or the U.S. or anybody that would have known or even people that are aware of my new project with Alex Lifes and Envy of None, those records are released globally. This one was never released outside of Canada. So um, I'm happy to, that maybe some people who have followed Coney Hatch or know Envy of None might go, this is kind of cool. I never even knew this album came out. It's like a best kept secret in the world, you know? <laughs> so when you're going into looking back at the album and pulling the recordings and seeing what you have, you discovered two new recordings that you had that you didn't put on the original album. Did you come across any issues in addition to finding these two did you come across any issues with the old audio being that old well that's that's a great question obviously being you know 30 years ago it, it feels like a lifetime um ago for me but when when tom barry the president of the label said i'm going to give you access to your old masters because i told him that i wanted to do a bit of a refresh i wanted to remix them Essentially, he gave me access online to this portal where all of these tapes were being stored. And I pulled pulled them up and I was like, wait a second. Oh, oh yeah, I remember a song called One Woman Man and Walk the Other Way. Full transparency, One Woman Man was like, I'm a big Leonard Skinner fan. And I remember I was going to do like, I'm going to do something a little bit almost like Southern rock bluesy feeling, right? And I remember the record company hearing it and going, yeah, not so much. We're not going to put this on the record, right? So that one got shelved. I can't remember why Walk the Other Way got shelved. But instantly I thought, okay, well, this is cool. I'm going to, you know, they were they were recorded top to bottom and they were finished. So I just had to mix them. 
Now, the issues that you're talking about, it's interesting that you said that. There was one song in particular called Right Where You Want Me. And for some reason, and I can only think, George, in the transfer from that record was done on two-inch analog tape, 24 tracks, old school. There was no Pro Tools done back then. There was no digital. So the process for anybody that doesn't know this, when you're when you're uncovering those albums many years later, you do a transfer from the analog tape and you dump it into a computer so that you can open it up on on in, in a digital format. So that song had a boatload of dropouts on them and dropouts meaning the audio is coming along and it's at a certain volume and then boom, it goes quiet. And then all of a sudden it pops back up again. So I got a, a very concerned phone call from a friend of mine, Vic Florencia, who's a Juno award winning mixing engineer here. And he said, Andy, I got bad news for you on on right where you want me. Like, you're going to have to go and see if you can find another version of this because it's just, it's got all kinds of dropouts on it. And I was like, Vic, there is no other version of it. That's it. That's all. And there's a big silence on the phone and he goes, leave it with me. Apparently, it took him a day and a half to go in on every little section on 24 tracks. So if you can follow the plot here. Let's say at two minutes and 30 seconds, everything drops out. There's 24 tracks of everything dropping out. So the kick drum drops out, the bass guitar drops out, the vocals, the guitar, right? He went in and painstakingly grabbed those, bumped the level back up and sent me a track, sent it to me two days later and said, I fixed it. And I was like, dude, I owe you a really nice dinner and some drinks and stuff. But that was really uh, that was really about it. I want to tell you the other cool thing that we did was um, I was going through bankers boxes, as I told you, and finding T-shirts and posters and, and old stuff. And I found a bunch of cassettes in there. And people are laughing, going, okay, like who plays cassettes anymore? Back in the heyday, George, like we had lots of cassettes and eight tracks and you name it, like all that stuff, right? So I find this this cassette and it says Andy Kern live in Vancouver. I completely forgot about it. I put it in my cassette deck because I've got a home studio and I have cassettes, uh, cassette players and dat tape. And it was a board tape from one of our, our shows. And it sounded, you know, pretty darn good in terms of the quality of it, right? But I'm like, damn, what am I going to do with a cassette? You know, this is crap. Like, it's got a hiss, tape hiss and everything. So uh, I mentioned to you, I think I mentioned Harry Hess from Harem Scarum is also putting out a record at the same time. But he's a mastering engineer and he's a friend of mine and he mastered my record. Can you do anything with cassettes? And he goes, dude, I just bought a new program that takes off all the hiss. I can enhance it. I can pop up the bond. I can brighten up the guitars and the vocals. So side two and three of my record were pulled from a cassette. Full stereo, couldn't remix them or anything. But I think it's that, you know, the performance sounds pretty ferocious. If I do say so myself, we were on 10 that day and we had a good night and it obviously doesn't sound as robust as the studio stuff, but not bad from salvaging it from a cassette that was buried in a banker's box for, you know, almost 30 years, George, you know? Let's uh, flash back a little bit to 1990 on kind of how you scored this record deal to do your first solo album. You mentioned briefly that there were issues within Coney Hatch and you decided go it on your own. How did yep. it all come together to get this album made originally? 
Well, it's interesting, and I can see in the background, and and thanks for putting up the Friction record there. That that Friction album and Coney Hatch. I'll I'll talk a little bit about the ending of Con- that chapter of Coney Hatch, and and the album was so appropriately titled Friction, and it was a lot of um, there was a lot of people from the label on both uh, Universal and Anthem weighing in saying, you know, maybe the reason why Coney Hatch isn't as popular or hasn't done as well as we think they should have done is because we have two singers in the band and the sound really needs to be streamlined and you should just go with one lead vocalist and stuff like that. So I was in the studio with um, recording the Friction record and Max Norman, the producer, Max is probably best known for doing... um, Ozzy Osbourne records, you know, he was there working with Randy Rhodes and everything. So this guy's like a, you know, I hit it off like a house on fire with this guy and he pulled me into the studio and he said, Andy, I got some bad news for you. The label's making all kinds of noise about having one singer and, you know, and and he was very dry, this guy. He said, let's face it, dude, if you had the chop, if you had the voice of Carl Dixon and if Carl Dixon had your attitude that would be the ultimate singer. But right now they're picking Carl Dixon, you know, so I, you know, he said, and you, you've written a lot of these songs anyway. So, you know, I'm sorry to, to lay it and lay down the law, but we're going to go in this direction. Right. That was a bitter pill for me to swallow because Coney Hatch was my band. I founded it. So imagine somebody telling you, Hey, thanks. You know, that's your band. Take a back seat here. Right. When Coney came to an end, um, I kind of had my tail between my legs and, and, I had the encouragement of my brothers and family and people going, come on, Andy, you can do this. You've done it once before. And so the, the, I went into the studio and I demoed some tracks with a whole different bunch of musicians, nobody from Coney Hatch. They were buddies of mine that I met original, like a guitar player that I went to high school with. And we, I just funded the demo. We went in and we did three or four songs and whiskey and the devil was on there. Teenage heartthrob, um, a couple other songs that made it onto the record and um, I thought, geez, okay, now I got these songs. Who the hell am I going to play them for? So I called up the the A&R guy who had signed Coney Hatch back in 1982. His name is Tom Barry, and Tom now had a new label. I I often say, George, that I've, I've, I've led a charmed life. I have a guardian angel upside, like crap just falls in my lap, and I'm going like, how, how am I so lucky here that, that this has happened to me? The very first guy that I played the demos for was Tom Barry. Sent him five songs. He called me up. He said, Andy, I love this. Let's do it. And I was like, wow, that was pretty easy. I phoned one guy and he said, let's go, right? Off we went into the studio and uh, and recorded all these tracks and, and, and released it on Anthem Records. We did shop it in the rest of the world. We got some people that flew in to see the band, never inked a deal outside of Canada. And, um, but like I said, had a really good long run in Canada with that record. We subsequently went out on tour and did some shows opening for Rush on the World of Bones tour back then, did some Canadian dates, uh, did long tours with Rick Emmett um, from Triumph uh, on Rick's solo band. We toured with a band called Glass Tiger here in Haywire in Canada, but never, ever got outside of Canada. Had three top 10 songs at radio in Canada with um, License to Love and No Tattoos and Let Go. Uh, had a boatload of air, of um, much music airplay, which is our equivalent to uh, MTV. So had a really good, long, successful probably climaxed with winning getting nominated for two juno awards uh, which is the equivalent of your grammy awards 
and winning one of them for um, most promising male vocalist, which was ironic because I'd already been around for like six or seven years. I, I wouldn't call that sort of like most promising. I've been kicking around for a while. But we got nominated for Best Hard Rock um, Metal Record, which we lost to Rush that year. So that was that took a bit of the sting off it. I was like, well, hell, man, you know, I'm not going to beat Rush in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> now, you you had a band after Coney Hatch called Soho 69, and you mentioned them. Were they the yep. band that played on the album or were they your live band? That was the live band. And, and um, you know, some of those guys... I went through a variety of different um, lineups in there. And a lot of it was, again, record company guys and managers coming and and every band goes through this and they go, we like your drummer, guitar player's not that that good, you know? And I think they actually, you know, if I remember, they read me the ride act. They said, look, we're going to do this record with you, but you need to get different guys in your band. Imagine that conversation, George, where you say, to these guys that have been slugging it out in the clubs with you for six months, by the way, guys, I'm going to go record a record and I've got to replace all of you. That was again, another tough, tough chapter, but I subsequently got a couple of guys that, that ended up playing on the record, Briarly and Glenn Milton, um, and, and eventually got Michael Burkowski, but um, the Soho 69 band did morph into the studio band at the tail end of the live stuff. Yeah. Was there a particular stumbling block that prevented the album from being released in the U.S.? It was a time, like you think back at that time, and there was a lot of records coming out. And I just, I often wonder, I've asked that question to myself, like why couldn't, you know, at that time too, we were shopping the deal going, hey, by the way, we've got three top 10 singles in Canada. The video is getting the crap played out of it, two of them. Here's, here's the sales nominated for two juno awards and i don't know what it was george we couldn't get arrested man maybe they didn't maybe they didn't like my hair it was pretty darn big at that point it looked like you know giant planet of the apes helmet or something <laughs> well it could have been something like i i had talked to lee aaron about her material not really making it to the united states and she said that her label was really an all or nothing thing if something if somebody in the u.s wanted something from attic i believe was her label yep take Correct. the whole label they couldn't just take Lee Aaron. Yeah. I well, there might have been politics that I didn't I didn't know about, but yeah, those circumstances I heard about that stuff happening, you know, and maybe let's call a spade a spade. Like, you know, Coney Coney Hatch did okay in America, but it wasn't like we were a household name there. So maybe they were like, Well, this guy's just the bass player from Coney Hatch, but it 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 eluded it eluded us the the deals in Europe. We had a great follow-up. With, you know, Kerrang! Magazine and New Music Express and stuff like that. So it wasn't like um, I was a nobody, but we just couldn't land a deal outside of Canada and met George. I, I To this day, I don't know why. Did you ever begin a second solo album after this release? So listen, it, like you talk about the rock and roll uh, roller coaster ride and um, I'm a big ACDC fan and listen, anybody out there who has ever been in a band or is thinking of starting a band, just read the lyrics that Bon Scott wrote a long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll, cause you literally get the shit kicked out of you daily. You know, you, you, it's a roller coaster ride. Like you're, you, you win a Juno award and boom, you're back down. Right. So at the Juno awards, the night of the Juno awards after winning, the following week, 
my or the, my manager says, I need you to come in and have a meeting with me next week. He's also the CEO of the label. So I go in thinking this is going to be great. We're going to talk about doing another record. And he tells me that he's closing his label and that I no longer have a, a, a record deal. So I'm scratching my head going, wait a second here. Just, just took home one of the most prestigious awards in Canada and I don't have a record deal. It was like, what the hell's going on here, right? So um, tail between my legs, went back into the studio with the same guys and recorded a record called Scatterbrain that was called Soho 69. Scatterbrain was released on a very small Canadian label called Hypnotic. So to answer your question, yes, the follow-up record. Uh, and, and at that time, I got the, I, I had the power to say, I don't want this record to be called Andy Kern, call it Soho 69. So any vinyl collector out there or CD collector, you'll find uh, a, a gem that, again, didn't have any deal outside of Canada. We had lots of great airplay and stuff, but a Soho 69 scatterbrain. I think you can find it on on spotify or something like that but that was the that was the follow-up to the solo record let's talk about this gigantic 30th edition packaging of whiskey and the devil that's coming that's available through sing market uh the first yep. obviously notable thing you mentioned was you changed the cover of the album to the to the devil gone is the big poofy hair and the neon uh background that was <laughs> 90s that every kid in grade school had behind them and yeah yeah you've got a nice cherry red double vinyl was this album ever available on vinyl before a very limited edition i believe I, I i you know it was right around that time when they were they were basically getting rid of vinyl and they were just putting it out on cd so if like i personally have a vinyl copy of it but i think it is like a it's like a unicorn if you can find that record on vinyl god, god bless you i i wouldn't be surprised if they did maybe like a thousand copies of it right but i again you know to to tell you what's on it and why it ended up in, uh, working with Sting is a really interesting story because when I started going down the rabbit hole and looking and and seeing and listening to everything that I had packed away, A, I wanted to do a remix of it. B, I wanted to include some live um, performances because there are no live performances on record of that band anywhere. So I thought that's that's the kind of and and the band I thought played really well that night. So it it was a it was indicative of um, the full testosterone you know uh, in your face performance that we that that we actually had quite a good following um, of, for for the the live uh, version of Andy Kern and Soho sixty nine. But then, as you said, as you mentioned, I found the two outtakes. So I thought, great, let's include those. The Canadian fans will have never heard those started to find old posters, old ticket stubs, um, found lyrics, handwritten lyrics, found track sheets and everything. And um, I started to think about what would be a cool, almost like a mini box set, you know, just load up on it. So around that time, George, I, I got introduced to the guys in Seattle who have this um, really cool digital company called Sting Market. And we spoke about being able to give fans, and this is very important that I want to I want to mention the return to ownership of digital music because, as you know, and I certainly don't have anything against Spotify or Apple or Amazon. I think it's I listen to them all the time. It's a great place to 
to discover new artists and listen to music. But the minute you stop your subscription or don't pay for those things, you lose everything in, in, in your entire collection. So part of what I'm doing is I'm telling you, George, if you buy my record right out of the gate, we're sending you MP3s immediately. You're also, you're going to get the new remixes. You're going to get the original album remastered right away. We're going to send you demos that help me get the record deal. Down the line, it doesn't say this, but down the line, I'm going to start feeding you content. I'm going to send you an email and go, hey, do you, would you want the high-res audio versions of this? I'm going to send, and, and this is all to keep, you know, as a thank you while you're waiting for your vinyl to show up six to eight weeks later, we're going to have a making of video behind the scenes. I'm going to send you some poofy big shots of me with poofy big hair back in the day. I'm going to send you a, um, a story about the biker show that I did where I was fearing for my life. So it's, it's a way to deliver some really cool digital content. And those are yours forever. You're going to put them on, you're going to either keep them on your phone. You're going to make a folder and they don't disappear the minute you stop you know going to sting marketplace you own them now and it's a return it's we're trying to make it a tangible thing that you can hold on to those buried in there is an nft what we call digital collectible part of it so even if you don't know anything about nfts you're going to get a digital wallet and in your digital wallet it's already going to be made it's just going to say george click here and look inside your digital wallet and in there you're going to find a bunch of goodies so i think it's the platform of Sting is a really cool thing for music fans and artists because I, I'm going to tell you, George, I've been around the block a few times as you know, as we've been talking about. I've been kicking around the music industry for a while. Never as an artist have I had so much freedom to do exactly what I wanted to do. Not a, nobody peering over my my shoulder, going, "You can't do this. You can't call it that. Don't include this." They literally came to me and said, "What do you want to do?" And I had carte blanche on it had a blast doing it. So I'm telling a lot of friends of mine, like Lee Aaron, like, uh, like Harry has in here, I'm scared. I'm like, check this company out. They're awesome, right? It's been pretty rewarding, buddy. I've had a, I've had a real good, a fun time doing it. And they've been just super supportive saying they've been anything like a label. It feels like a little label, but it's actually, it's a place for artists. It's a platform for them to go and 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 make their music available for fans around the world. That's the part that I love. It's it's global. So now if you're if you were a Coney Hatch fan living in London, England, and you never knew about my solo album, well, guess what? Now you can get it. We can ship it to you, and you're going to get your digital stuff as well. Tell me a little bit about this uh, biker show where you feared for your life. It's a good story, buddy. Okay, so. We had, as I said, we had quite a, uh, we had a very high profile during this time and specifically on radio and with much music. So I got a call out of the blue one day from a very close buddy of mine named Sonny. And um, Sonny had some friends in low places. And um, so he called me up and he said, I just got a call from someone who belongs to the bike gang, um, uh, Paradise Riders, I think it was, the Paradise Riders or um if I remember correctly, that might have been it wasn't Satan's Choice, but Satan's Choice is like uh, there was two or three bike gangs. Anyway, he said they want to hire you for the party that they're doing. I had just recently got married. I had a young daughter and I said, not a chance in hell. I'm not going near that. That sounds like a recipe for disaster playing a biker party. I'm picturing like Animal House out of control, right? 
So I said, thank you. Thank them for the offer. And um, no, not interested. And I've got a young family and a wife and I, I would like to keep my family together. So he calls me back and he said, Andy, they are not accepting no for an answer. Um, he said, if you want my opinion, why don't we just throw a big number at them? Like inflate your price and, and let's scare them away with money. And I go, okay, so that's a good idea. I can't even remember what the number was, George, but let's say it was highly inflated for sure. It was, it was not what I was getting at that time to play live shows. He goes, okay, I'll go back to him. And he, he goes, you know, stand, stand by, calls me back and goes, yeah, they said, yeah, they're going to pay it. I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do now, right? So as the show is getting closer, I find out that not only are the Paradise Riders going to be there, there's a band called the, or there's a there's a bike club in Quebec called the Rolling Eagles that are going to be there. There's some ba biker gang from from Vancouver and Edmonton and you name it. They're all coming in, and this is like a giant biker convention. So now it's not only one bike gang; it's going to be probably a dozen bike gangs are going to be there. And now the fear factor has gone up. I'm I'm like, am I even going to get out of this place alive? Right. And they tell me that the, this is a celebration. And on the ticket stub, which comes in my my um, my new record, is a guy's name. And I think it was Rob Stove or something like that. And it says 1%. So this biker was jailed for all kinds of crimes, but he's actually now getting out of jail. And they're throwing this big party for him. And, and it's 20 bucks at the door and all proceeds go to this biker to get him back on his feet again, right? So they're, they're assuring me, Andy, there will be no problems whatsoever. These bikers are all going to put down their guns and knives and swords and drugs for one night, and they're all going to coexist, right? So I'm just praying for this, and my wife and I are, and she's like, oh, my God, are you even going to come home? You know, we've got a baby. And like every bad thing that you could think is going through my head. So we go, so I learn a couple songs. I tell the band, let's learn Born to be Wild, and let's, you know, learn a Leonard Skinner song, and everybody's dressing in black everybody's dressing in black that night, get your leather pants, right? So we play the show and it goes off without a hitch, not a single issue. I get a knock on the door at the dressing room. A guy walks in and goes, here you go, Andy, hands me a brown paper bag filled with cash. I mean, filled. It's like out of a movie. And I'm like, oh my God, no, no check, no nothing. It's like, now I'm like, holy shit, how am I going to get out of this building with you know x amount of dollars so i'm shoving it in my my bag and stuff like that and he goes oh by the way the president wants you to come over to the clubhouse the whole band needs to come over and say hi to him so now i'm not out of the, i'm not out of the woods yet and i said um no no thanks man i gotta get home to my wife and, and i've got a young daughter he's like no 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 there's there's no no you're coming we've got a car for you we're picking you up up front we're taking you to the clubhouse now I'm thinking, okay, we, we dodged one bullet. Now I got to go to the clubhouse. How, like, is it going to get raided? Are the police going to come in? What are we walking into, right? Pull up to the clubhouse, knock on the door. This giant biker opens the door and goes, who the F are you guys? Oh, I'm Andy Kern. And this is the band. He goes, come on inside. So now we're in this corridor where there's, we've got inside the big bunker door that the police, there's a big brick wall in so that they can't knock the front door out. And now I'm in a corridor and the guy says to me, Here's the rules. None of you guys are allowed to look at a single woman. Not one of them. All the, the guys are in here. Do not look at anybody's girlfriend. You go in, you order a drink, you shake their hands, and then you get the F out of here. And I'm like, okay. 
So we go in, we kiss the ring of the pres the president of the uh, Paradise Riders, and we stay for 10 minutes and we get a drink and we get the hell out of there. And I left and a collective sigh of relief with everybody. But my God, George, it was, we were on pins and needles the whole night. So when I told that to my friends at Sting and I told, and they said, what are you going to put in your package? I got, I got this crazy biker ticket. Like, I don't know. And they were like, oh man, you got to put the biker ticket in and, and you got to tell this story because I was fearing for my life. It's the one and only time I've ever played an organized biker party. <laughs> Picture Pee Wee Herman. Remember the Pee Wee Herman movie where Pee Wee mm -hmm. goes into the biker? But that's that's exactly what it was like. And luckily, I didn't kick over any of their motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been awesome. Yeah, but it was it was let's say it was a it was a, a very colorful night in there. But um, we played to a sea of black leather jackets, and uh, and and thank God nothing nothing weird went down. So to pull us back to 2023, you're, you're playing with Coney Hatch again. You guys got back together. You guys do the festival circuit. You do like the weekend warrior thing. And uh, mm -hmm. actually, you actually recently celebrated your 40th anniversary of your debut. Uh, you did a show in Toronto that you're going to be releasing soon uh, on album, right? Yeah. Like we, so it's interesting, you know, like again, um, lead, leading a charmed life. And, and we get these emails, from people saying, would you like to be part of Sweden rock? And you're like, okay, well, that's the biggest freaking rock festival in Sweden. Of course we want to be part of that. Right. Got a show in Hamburg, um, got a couple shows in Canada and most of them are festivals and we're weekend warriors. And it's like, we all get along well, despite what I told you, happened during friction. Oh, it's all water under the bridge. We're all good pals, right? But we did do that 40th anniversary show at the end of last year at the Elma Combo, and we recorded it and filmed it. And we're going to go back and listen to it. And George, and if it sounds any good, we're, we're thinking, this is a pretty cool time capsule. It's the only time that we can remember playing the debut album from top to tail in the order of the record, too. Like track one, track two, track three, right? So it was a fun night. Um, it was rammed to the hilt. And, and we, we want to go back and listen to the recordings and see. It felt good that night, but we actually haven't put it under the microscope. But there has been talk about um, releasing that record. There's talk about new music too, right? There's talk. Well, we actually have recorded uh, during um, during the pandemic over COVID. We got in and finished off a couple tracks. So there, there's two new Coney tracks that are looming. And speaking about new music, um, myself, Alex Lifeson from Rush, Maya Wynn, and Alpha Annabellini, we've already started writing for the second Envy of None record. So let's just say I'm a, I'm a busy boy right now. I'm, I'm trying to cut myself in quarters and go, okay, which which project am I going to work on today? It's a, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. And I think the Envy of None project kind of took people by surprise, pleasant surprise at that with you and... Alex Leifson of of Rush. I mean, just obviously no bad feelings. He beat you out for the Juno Award because <laughs> you are making music again together. Yeah, no, no bad feelings at all together. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people were like, oh, my God, this sounds nothing like Rush or Coney Hatch. And that was that was something that we um, intended on making sure that this was a, a, a deviation for both of us. And we really enjoy, enjoyed kind of pushing the envelope and stretching out into a different stylistically sounding um, record but we had a lot of fun doing it and so much so that everybody was like well should we make another one and then we're like yeah hell yeah so we've got about four or five ideas that we're kicking around right now 
Um, but you'll definitely see some stuff coming out this summer and, and spring from MV of None. We've got a picture disc coming out. We've got an EP coming out with one new song. So again, George, I, I, I feel blessed, buddy. I, I, I'm lead, leading a charmed life. I, I'm, I'm in a good place. And a buddy of mine said to me recently, Andy, you're falling up right now, <laughs> not falling down. So it, it right now on that roller coaster that we've been talking about, Jeff, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm getting pretty close to the top. And so I'm wondering when I'm going to come hammering back down to earth again, but it doesn't look like it's imminent. <laughs> do you think you'll ever get a chance to maybe do a one-off show to perform either the envy of none material or your solo material? There's been a lot of talk about the, the solo stuff and, and um, a, a couple of the guys in the band, when we were putting this package together, had said to me, wouldn't it be fun to go out and play a couple shows? So I would say certainly that's um, on the table. Alex has spoken to me, Alex Lifeson has spoken to me a lot about the MV of None stuff and whether we would play live or not. And he basically said, why don't we get another record under our belt before we think about even performing live? Because if we were to go out right now, George, full transparency, we barely have, you know, just over 30 minutes. We have one album's worth of material. So if we can get another album under our belt, I think it, it gives us the opportunity to have that much more music that we could potentially play. So he hasn't said no, but he hasn't said yes. Kind of like that scene at the end of Dumb and Dumber where he said, you know, Jim Carrey asked if he can, if the girl would consider dating him. And she said about a 99.9% no. It's like, oh, so I still have a chance. <laughs> we'll see what Alex says. We're, nobody's beating him up. We'd rather have fun and make sure there's no pressures on this on this project. Well, those are all the questions I have for you today, Andy. I had a good time uh, learning about your first solo album, and it's back in the 30th anniversary form, Whiskey and the Devil 30th through Sing Market. Fantastic, huge box set with, obviously, digital bonuses galore, and uh, I look forward to picking up my copy, and I want to thank you for taking the time to talk about it today. My pleasure, George. Thank you very much for having me on. And yeah, I'm excited about it. As I said, especially people outside of Canada, this this is a record you probably never even knew about. And it's got it's got some good bite to it. So I'm I'm proud to many years later to have it back out there again, buddy. And thank you for having me on today. Once again, I want to thank Andy Curran of Coney Hatch and Envy of None for coming on the Rock is George podcast. Be sure to check out the 30th anniversary edition of his solo album, Whiskey and the Devil 30th, available through Sing Market. Their website is market.singidea.com. Normally, I'd tell you to stream it on your favorite streaming platform, but it's not available. Andy has some samples of the music on his website, andycurrentmusic.com. And, of course, you can find anything you ever want at YouTube. Once you checked out the music from Andy's solo album, head back over to Sing Market. Get yourself a physical copy. Support the artist. One of the most extensive reissues I've seen. I also want to thank Hadley Wolfram at Chipster PR for making this interview possible. You've been great. I've been George Dion. I'll see you again soon.